This is a podcast from Minute Media. Everybody and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We have a very special occasion today. Up in the air, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's the most craptastic movie you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> this time, it's personal. It is personal this time. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time we've said we don't pick losers. Right. But today, today we're picking losers. But... We are picking the number one losers, the absolute best losers <laughs> of all time. We've got our buddies today. We've got Jeff and Brad from the uh, Film By podcast. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing great. Jason and D, the dudes of steel. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, are you going to get it. <laughs> Oh, uh, you stole one of my lines. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. The quotes are coming out early. Yeah. So uh. everybody who's used to our normal format on the podcast, we were doing something completely different today. Number one, we have a couple of awesome guests from another podcast called A Film By. We have done a podcast with these guys before. We've got Jeff and Brad together today with us. And we previously done a movie of 1989, which was also a sequel. We did Ghostbusters 2. I thought that was one of the best episodes that we ever did. And I was a little bummed that we didn't publish it to our stuff. You guys had the you had you had a great episode <laughs> right there. I thought that was a really fun one to mm-hmm. do, and it was great to work with you guys. I'm really excited to be here doing it again. Yeah, thank you. Well, we- I figured that you guys wanted to do another movie where the Statue of Liberty like leaves Liberty Island. And I'm like, are we seriously doing another movie where the Statue of Liberty moves again? But wow, I didn't even hey. think about that, man. Yeah. The body wants what the body wants, right? <laughs> okay, guys. So today we are covering Superman 4. Typically our format is to bounce back and forth between the two movies that we cover. But we're going to start with Superman 4, the quest for... I don't know what they were really looking for in this. It was really pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> I got a couple of couple of quotes here that I feel like is appropriate for this intro. Go. First go. one is betrayed, betrayed, <laughs> betrayed. And then you stole my the dude to steal. You're gonna get it. So. <laughs> but I think probably the best one is stop. Don't do it. The people. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. The passion. Uh, that, that was Sha- it was Shakespearean. So we are going to talk about Superman 4 first. Then on our next episode, we will be talking about Jaws the Revenge. We can't call it Jaws 4. Right. Because who knows if they really even consider Jaws 3 a part of the series or not. I don't know. But today we are talking Superman 4, canon produced, canon ruined, and the end of what had begun as a spectacular series. Guys, how recently have you seen Superman 4? Last night for me. It was uh, it was last night for me as well. Yeah. yeah, last night. Wow, okay. So I can't believe I'm never ahead. I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, well, I might as well watch Superman 4 while I'm not sleeping. So I watched it a couple of nights ago. It is the first time that I've seen it since I saw it in the theater in 1987. Wow. Wow. Really? Yeah. And I can wait another. 34, 35 <laughs> years till I see it again. Did you guys see this in the theater or what's what's your relationship with it? I saw it in the theater. Did you cry or? 
I remember, I remember being a little upset, <laughs> not because, you know, I was a little bit, I was a little, just a little bit older because I had seen Superman two, I had seen Superman three and, you know, enjoyed them, but, uh, I did not enjoy this one at all. Okay. Brad, you know, I didn't see it in the theater, but what I saw was my local like market, like gas station, Jeff knows the UDF used to sell just like a pinwheel of comic books and they had a movie adaptation of Superman four in comic book form. So I actually read it before seeing the movie, uh, but I didn't see it until it came out on a video. Okay. So the question that I had when I watched this movie the first time, and when I watched it 35 years later, the second time is how did this piece of crap get made? Yeah. And the answer comes down to money mm -hmm. and the lack thereof. Dear listener, if you haven't checked out our episode where Jason and I and John Reed from the 30 something movie podcast compare Man of Steel versus Superman one and two, definitely go check those out. The Salkinds are the producers of those movies, the original two movies. And they had also done Superman 3, which I love. Sucked. I mm -hmm. think Jeff enjoys. <laughs> Brad, I, I, I had Superman fun with 3? it. Okay. I took some, I took uh, Jason's advice from when you guys did the Batman episode where you went and you watched like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Doing this, I watched Superman 3 and Superman 4 uh, like together to compare them to see which yes. one was better or worse and um ah, man this was a hard one <laughs> this this was a hard one because superman 3 i watched tried to watch it a couple of nights ago and i had to turn it off but i pushed what? through it yeah i had i pushed through it the beginning the beginning is just too comical the opening scene is ludicrous it's yeah, hilarious right. it's not a, yeah. it's not supposed to be hilarious <laughs> it, we're talking about superman yeah mm -hmm. so i got two words for both brad and jason that why this why superman 3 is by far better than superman 4 and those two words are annette o'toole Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And it I said, helps. Muriel Hemingway. Right. Muriel Hemingway is nice to look at, but she brought nothing to the table. At least Annette O'Toole is an accomplished actress. And her mm -hmm. exchange with Christopher Reeve during the Smallville scenes is absolutely hilarious. Okay, listen, I'm going to make a comparison and then we can move on from Superman <laughs> 3. But Superman 3 in my book was like when I watched The Last Jedi for the first time. High hopes kicked in the balls. Right. <laughs> okay. Massive fall from Superman 2. Total disappointment. What am I looking at? This movie is total crap. So when I saw Superman 4, uh, it was kind of like The Last Skywalker. I was like, eh, not that bad. Yeah, no, and I was, it was the exact same op. It was just like that for Star Wars with us. I didn't hate the third or the second in the uh, sequel series, but I absolutely despised the last one. The series, <laughs> and I absolutely despised this. But even in between Superman three and Superman four, you have a salt kind production that is called Supergirl. I'm spiking the football early on. This is the worst DC movie of all time. Supergirl, Supergirl is? is an abomination. Have you guys seen that one? I Not have. since I was a kid. I barely remember it. Okay. So it came out in 84. Yes. It on IMDb right now has a, a rank of 4.4 out of 10, okay. which is pretty bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Superman 4 has 3.7. I don't know that I disagree with you. I don't know that Supergirl isn't at least as big a piece of crap as Superman 4, 
but I think that the expectation for Supergirl was so low that it people weren't that nobody disappointed because nobody right. cared. Right. Superman mm-hmm. four. There was a decent chunk of folks who were unhappy with Superman three, but there were also a bunch of guys like us that absolutely loved it. And so in coming into Superman four, that was the we were set up for the biggest fall ever after having Superman one, two and three on our books. OK, mm-hmm. but. What happened is, is that the Salkinds had a disappointment with Superman 3, underwhelming performance on that one. They had an even worse performance with Supergirl. And so they had, they were basically out of money. And then enter the Cannon Group. So the Cannon Group, you got these uh, wheeler dealer guys always making moves from Israel. And they wanted mm-hmm. to crack into the American market. And I watched this documentary called Electric Boogaloo. Jeff, did you watch it? It's right, a you fantastic yes, I've seen documentary. It, yes. It's yeah. awesome. Love it. Right? Absolutely. It made me like instant fans of these guys. They, yeah. Balls of steel. And oh, so yeah. they would get movies made by simply making a poster, finding investors by, hey, look at this poster. We're working on this movie right now. You can be a part of it. Just donate your money and you know you can mm-hmm. help us with that. Well, the movie, they weren't, they didn't have a script. They didn't even have really an idea. It was just a poster. Yeah. And they would fund these movies just by being ballsy enough to ask for the money. Yeah, the two names are Yoram Globus and Minaham Golan. Okay. Yes, yeah. Just hard. I'm just yep. going to say the Canon guys from now on. All right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Easier that way. <laughs> so, what they would do in addition to these poster ideas is that so the Con Film Festival would happen and they would show up and in the paper, they would buy advertisements for every single page in the paper, like full page advertisements for their movies. And then, like you said, they'd go show posters and they'd try to get investors for their movies that they had no script for, no actors, no director, nothing except a poster. And it worked. All right, everybody, let's take a quick break and hear from our good friend, Mr. Dayton Johnson, over at the Docking Bay 77 podcast. Hi, I'm Dayton Johnson, the host of the Docking Bay 77 podcast. I love to talk about movies. First of all, it was Brad Bird's directorial debut. Once from the get-go proving that he is one of the best directors in Hollywood. There, I've said it. It's so much fun. The jokes are great, like I said, and you have such a great uh, voice cast. Harry Connick Jr. as a beatnik was a stroke of genius to cast him. I mean, come on. I love to talk about music. I want to talk about the first song on the album, um, Our Lips Are Sealed. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, this is a perfect pop song. It's catchy. It's fun. It's not quite three minutes long. Uh, The vocals are great. It's just so much fun, and there's there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a perfect pop song. And I have a lot of friends who like to do so as well. The witches are, are you know, as long as they're the creepy, sexy witches, you, you know, you're going to be looking like the neck down. Okay, good. But come back to us, Dave. Come back <laughs> <Yeah>. to us. <laughs> no, I'm going with the witches. Uh, the witches are definitely much more nightmare fuel. But the fact that they look like the Texas Chainsaw Centerfolds. Um. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. and We hope you'll give us a listen. You can find us on Podbean, Good Pods, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and remember, when it comes to watching movies and listening to music, physical media is better than streaming. And it worked for a while. It, sure did. it worked so well that they started calling it the Canon Film Festival. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, so it worked. So it in, worked. Yeah. So in 85 or 86, they're there. The Salkinds are there. The Salkinds are having money troubles. And these Wheeler dealers buy the rights to Superman for $5 million. <laughs> $5 million. Can you imagine buying that franchise 
for $5 million. Even in 80s money, that seems nuts. Dirt cheap. Nuts. That is ridiculously low for a property like Superman. Absolutely. It just is. And just to give some per- perspective to that, they paid Christopher Reeve $6 million just for mm-hmm. his part, just for his one part. So can you imagine mm-hmm. the the rights being bought for less than you pay one actor in the movie? It's, a, it's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But- because they've got this choice piece of property, they're thinking, okay, we're going to sink all of our funds into this. And they get together a budget of $36 million. $36 million in 1986, you're going to make a good movie, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you this. Let me just throw this in. You yeah. know what the biggest budget movie of 1987 was? At $30 million? Jaws of Revenge. Wow. That At is 30 million. Right. So 37 would have been... The would have been bigger, yeah. Except that once it was time for actual production, the Canon Group had put out so many atrocious movies <laughs> that they were also out of money, and they slashed the budget from thirty-six million to seventeen million. Mm. Cut it more I mean, than in half. More than in half. Yeah. At the last minute. At the last minute. So the Canon Group, they did Breaking. They did Breaking to Electric Boogaloo. Both great movies. Yep. They did Over the Top. <laughs> I just watched a movie my good friend Jeff Johnson made me watch the other day called Invaders <laughs> from Mars. Oh, yeah. They did Masters of the Universe. I mean, these guys wheeled and dealed their way into major Hollywood movies. There, now, were, yeah. there were several decently made movies in their yeah. literally hundreds of movies. Mm-hmm. There are a handful that they were a success with, but it only takes a handful. And, and then you get some money to go buy up Superman. Right. I mean, and their formula was, you know, guns, boobs, and, you know, <laughs> you know, shoot them up stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they had a pretty good thing going with uh, Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris. When you think about it, lots of good, I mean, quality entertainment, you know, if you're, like you said, if you if you want the guns and the boobs and the and the explosions, yeah. you're watching a canon movie. Yeah. The, then, so when they got a script, the question was which Chuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chuck Norris to give it to Chuck Bronson. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Hey, you know, we could do a whole nother episode just on the fact that they beat Rambo to the box office by fast tracking the Chuck Norris movies missing in action. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that's a great story too, because they filmed part one and part two at the same time. And then, and they watched them and they're like, wow, part two is way better than part one. We part can't come out so with, good. The, with the bad movie first. <laughs> so they literally, they released part two first and then made part one a prequel. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because isn't it a uh, missing in action Two? the beginning is like the, the title of it. Yeah. I thought it was like the return of Braddock or something like that. I think no, that was is three. Braddock. That's three. Yeah. Okay. Three okay. Braddock. One is, I don't even remember Missing in Action, but Missing in Action 2, you don't even need to see the other ones. It's just a good movie by itself. It's a fun yeah. movie. It was on HBO well, about every third movie all the time when I was growing up. So, but again, it goes back to their just the hustlers that these guys were. Missing in Action 2, the beginning comes out. It blows the doors off of everyone's expectations, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, where's where's the first one? Did I miss <laughs> it? <laughs> right. And then they bring that out, and you're and you're like, uh, what, mm-hmm. huh? I think I just yeah, rewatched two. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen Life Force? Uh, yeah. Love Life Force. <laughs> actually have a copy. Jeff made me buy it. Oh, he my gave gosh. Me, Jeff gave me a no hurl guarantee on the director's cut of Life Force. <laughs> I I did. Uh, Scream Factory put out a gorgeous like 2K resolution steelbook 
with a ton of extras. This was one of those movies Brad and I saw back when we were 17 and Friday night we were hitting Blockbuster and it was just like randomly like, hey, let's check this out. You know, we had a couple other, uh, there were a couple of girls that we that we hung out with and uh, Brad wasn't one of them that that chose Life Force and kind of introduced us to it and we're like, space Could have been okay. and they probably regretted it uh, about five minutes into it as Matilda May is, is yeah. naked, you know, 30% of the movie. Naked yeah. space vampires. Yeah. Would you if like you to have the director's cut? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can say that the Canon guys kind of did the exploitation films of the 80s. They knew sure. the video market. They knew the turnaround to get into. You didn't need a long run in the theater. You knew that the video markets would pick it up. I mean, there wasn't just your big video chain. Gas stations were renting videos. There sure. was a video place everywhere. They, they, they knew their market. But unfortunately, they had no money when they... Decided to make Superman for right. They slashed the budget from thirty six to seventeen million dollars. It's crazy. So the other part that Christopher Reeve demanded, other than the six million dollar salary and writing power in the movie, is that they would fund his pet project, which is called Street Smart. Have you guys seen that? I have. I, uh, you're talking about with Morgan Freeman, right? Yes. Yeah, it was like Morgan Freeman's breakout role. I think he was mm-hmm. nominated. Mate, did he win the Oscar? I can't remember. He was at least nominated from. He that was movie. nominated. That, yeah. If you haven't seen it, it is definitely worth watching. Uh, really? Okay. Seeing, seeing these two guys way out of their element, you know, and I don't want to give away a bunch of stuff about the movie, but yeah, I would just, I would, I would recommend it. Seeing Christopher Reeve, anytime you see Christopher Reeve not playing Clark Kent Superman is always, to me, it's fun. You know, we talked yeah. about Death Trap recently and how incredible he is in that film. Street Smart, same thing. Like, you know, get if, if you want a totally different take on what Christopher Reeve can do, Check that one out. Think about this for a second. Richard Donner does Lethal Weapon. Chris mm-hmm. Reeve is on the short list to play Martin Riggs. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. How how different is that series? You know? I don't even know if I could. I, I can't even see it in my head. I really can't. Well, it's Mel Gibson was so awesome in that. I mean, yeah. he is Riggs. Yeah. But, or how different the whole Superman series would have been if the Falcons wouldn't have fired him off of Superman 2. We could have had three to four Richard Donner Superman. Mm-hmm. No lethal weapon, maybe. I would sacrifice a Richard Donner Superman three and four in order to get a lethal weapon one and two. I'll trade. I'll make that trade. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. So they get a director. This guy is named Sidney J. Fury. I hadn't heard of him because here's why. I think we've maybe even talked about this before. I still haven't seen Iron Eagle. Oh, mm. there you go. Top Gun was the fighter pilot movie for me of 1986, and that was all I needed. I didn't need to go see Iron Eagle, but that was his one success, if you want to call it that. Now, if you look at IMDb rankings and you like put it on a grading scale, he's got 57 directorial credits. You are going to be hard-pressed to find any that are better than a failing grade Mm. like there's just none that are above a 6.0 hardly at all even iron eagles at a 5.4 d can i give it can i throw out one more of his credits just to give him a little more uh, just just to defend him if you will yeah i don't know where it ranks it it might it's probably not gonna be at a six or above but uh let's not forget 1982 he gave us the entity uh with barbara hershey 
Ooh, that's him. Okay. And that's to this day, that still is one of the scary movies I think I've seen. Resounding success at a 6.7. <laughs> hey, All right. There we go. That's not bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll tell you two guys that they offered the director chair to. Number one, they offered it to Richard Lester. Done part two and part three. Yep. And then they also offered it to Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. They I mean, also offered it to Richard Donner. Uh, well, I know, right? Wes Craven, though, hot off of Nightmare on Elm Street. Hey, you want to make Superman? That's interesting. And then they go back to Richard Donner and they say, hey, man, come back. Yeah. And he actually thought about it. But and he actually, he was doing Lethal Weapon, right? Yeah. He was busy doing Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Okay. Right? I mean, you think about it. Superman 1, when you go back and rewatch it, you're like, man, this is really good. He had that that word that he abided by, the verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. Like, we live in Superman's universe. Everything that happens in this movie has to be real. And it has to be accepted as factual in this superhero world we live in. You don't have the don't walk and walk sign fighting each other. Okay? <laughs> yeah. The- that is one of the that is one of the <laughs> ugly marks against Superman three. Thank you. I, I, I don't disagree with that. Thank you. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I, I, I got to ask though. Roll the co- weather with a computer <laughs> and play an Atari against Superman. But uh, but to be to be fair to be fair. Even in Superman 1, you had a bit of ridiculous reach whenever he discovers where the kryptonite is. He slides the ladder over to a book in his bookcase and is like, oh, there was a meteor found in <laughs> South America. Well, let's go down there. And there it's, all of a sudden, he's got kryptonite. I mean, there are, there are holes that happen even in the best of the Superman movies. I, I think it is now time for us to jump into the massive bag of crap that is Superman 4 and talk about what they got wrong. Should we start with what they get right, or we want to go sure. straight to it's what they... it's going to be a short list. We it can is, do that pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I can do with a single strand of Superman's hair? You can make it to pay the flies. It would be a short, a very short list for what they got right. I will say this. The story idea is one that could have been good. You'd risk worldwide nuclear war for your own personal financial gain. Nobody wants war. I just want to keep the threat alive. Yes. That you when the idea of having a villain that has the same powers, which I mean, admittedly, they had that in Superman too. But mm. if you've got one that is controlled by Lex Luthor, his biggest nemesis, that lends itself to some good possibilities. I don't think you need the nuclear war stuff. I don't think you we're not, we're not talking about bad stuff. Yeah, yet. Not, not, yeah, you're right. You're right. I got much too much to say about that. But just story idea wise, the idea of creating another super creature is actually a good idea and it will work. We've seen it work. The movie is called Megamind. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, Brad's Brad's new father here, but we've we've all seen that movie, right? I mean, they take the DNA of the departed superhero and they create what they are thinking is going to be another superhero, but turns out to be a supervillain. They could have totally done that with this movie and had a great movie. You know, maybe Superman's ready to retire and so somebody finds a way to duplicate him and then that guy ends up being evil that that becomes a good movie that way one thing that definitely works for me is his address to the un i think aside and i'm not talking like the the production of it because it it definitely looks cheap the way he walks in but his uh his dialogue there and christopher reeve's performance in that moment i think is one of the better moments of this movie it's very heartfelt you can tell superman truly wants to do do something for humanity that, that we can't do for ourselves and i i love that moment in the film and there will be peace there will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them I just wish you could all see the earth the way that I see it. 
because when you really look at it, it's just one world. Just the backstory on that. In order to get Christopher Reeve to come back as Superman, they had to offer him an obscene amount of money, which they did. And then they had to offer him some writing power in the script. And that was his key piece that he wanted in the script is that he wanted to address the nuclear arms conflict that was going on and how Superman was going to deal with that. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think in that moment, we get the Superman of Superman 1 where he is... He's all about, you know, truth, justice in the American way. Actually, I'm going to flip your guys's review because I think the nuclear war thing works better than the nuclear man thing. I think the first half of the film up into the like the UN speech is actually not bad. The actual intent of, yeah, what would you do if there really was a Superman? You probably want to get rid of all the nuclear warheads. It's like. And there's a few key scenes where Christopher Reeve is really struggling being like, what do I do? What do I do? And when he does that little thing with like when Lois comes and visits him and he he just takes her off the balcony and flies with her, you can just tell he's struggling. <laughs> he has no one to talk to. Wait, and are we doing he, bad stuff already? No, this is good stuff. No, this is good stuff. When he tells her that thing of never put any one thing above the rest, you know, of what Krypton had told, you know, his leaders of Krypton had told him to do, I think works up until the UN speech. The movie is not that awful. I think some of that works. The intent of Superman four was, I think, heartfelt. And then it just goes off the rails. This is my nephew, Lenny. He worships me. The dude of steel. <laughs> Boy, are you going to get it? So you're cool with right up until the point that Superman becomes like a maniacal tyrant at that point. <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> dictator for life. Yeah. The storyline of the guy taking over the paper is straight out of the comic books and Morgan edge. He's, he's okay. the Morgan edge character, which wow. we get, of course, when we do Superman and Lois, we get a great version of that. Like you recognize it now, right? Check out our other podcast, the podcast full of kryptonite, where we go through the CW show, Superman and Lois. Yeah. We, mm -hmm. we are not afraid to plug anything, <laughs> <laughs> but you've got that. And even the storyline with Jeremy and, you know, Superman should be the one that, that cures the nuclear weapon problem that we have that I think it was a storyline in the comics as well. It's just you just a, said the word Jeremy and we're shifting to bad stuff. I, I <laughs> just I'm just saying good, bad, or indifferent. They were a part of the original comic book. I mean, yeah, they were a part of the comic book storylines. Okay. I want to say something, get this off my chest. Really, the one thing that works for me is the cast. You have Christopher mm -hmm. Reeve back, you have Gene Hackman, you have Margot Kidder, you've got Mariel Hemingway, who is a babe in 1987. Mm -hmm. You have John Cryer, who his character is kind of stupid, but he's he's a legit actor, and he's he's done some good stuff since then. Lenny, my loudmouth nephew, gets his energy from the sun. Without it, he's like you at night. <laughs> so the cast since then, yeah. I mean, you know, at the time, not so much. Okay. You have Mark Pillow. Uh, <laughs> uh, hold up. <laughs> His arms look great. His yeah. biceps did look His very good. His arms look great. You have uh, the, the teacher in the school is actually the, the lady in kindergarten cop who was getting beat up by her husband. That's right. That uh, mm -hmm. Schwarzenegger uh, steps in and her. helps her out with. Thank you for yep. making that connection. Film debut, Best I believe. Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Margot Kidder, that just stop right there. We're headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. we, we've got something to build on. We're ready to go. And then it derails. 
one more thing about the cast. And I can't remember the guy's name. You guys have to help me out of this. The dude who plays Porkins in Star Wars. William. Mm-hmm. Um, you talking Hookins. about William Hookins? The third. Yes. Hookins? Yep. Yeah. Isn't he Dirty Cop in Batman? Yes. Ah. Lieutenant Eckhart. Eckhart. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Think but, about the future. Yes. And if you look <laughs> to the left or right of him, not the ma- not the guy that's the mad Russian, the other guy, that is Oscar winner Jim Broadband. Yeah. I was blown away when what? I saw this recently. This yeah, movie has two Oscar winning actors in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's impressive that the two, I mean, they're so campy, those guys. But you've got you've got William H. Hootkins. He's Porkins in Star Wars. Yes. He's, He's Eckhart in Batman. He's Let's not right. forget Major Eaton in Raiders. Yep. Top men. Yes. Top, top men. Men. Yes. <laughs> He's and Munson and Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Right. And to tie the other guy in, you've got your Oscar winning British actor who's been in, I mean, too many things to mention. Let's just say Harry Potter. I'd throw mm-hmm. that out there. Right. And you've got William H. Hootkins. The Russian guy was the doctor who was in Flash Gordon as well. Which doctor? The doc, when they've got him tied to the table and they're about to... Like do whatever the mind meld thing is oh. that they do. On Wait, him. not the ball worms. <laughs> <laughs> the ball worms. You got it. That's him. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, I, I'll just say this, you know, because it ties to the cast also. One more one more thing that works for this movie and maybe the heart of the movie because they've been in all the others. Jackie Cooper and Mark McClure playing Harry yeah, White Absolutely. and Jimmy Olsen. Yes. Those guys, uh, their performance in this movie is just as good as it was in Superman the movie, Superman 2. Uh, granted, they don't have a whole lot they have to do for us, but... Sure. I appreciate their performances. I can just see Jackie Cooper saying, okay, I'm going to play this part, but I want to be able to leave right after the beginning of the movie and come back right before the end. That's all I'm going to be there for. And the thing is, his speech at the end on how he got the company back is actually a pretty good scene. You know, he's like, that's right. I left and he's like, I've done enough stories on corporate takeovers where I've been doing my research and I got you, I got my investors to buy you out. It's not a bad scene. It was a little bit quick. I was like, what, wait, what just happened? Yeah. Maybe yeah. planted just a few seeds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got a little annoyed with Mark McClure in this movie. Really? Actually, all of them. Yeah. I'm not a big Superman's fan of Superman's pal, Jimmy. Jimmy Olsen? How do yeah. you get, Ooh, how do you get <laughs> Oh, what a scoop. <laughs> Hey, he was in one, two, three, Supergirl, and four. Yep. And he was also in Justice League. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, he that's made right. He made a Man of Steel, if I remember right. Anything? Sadly, is yes. there anything else good we can say? I can't think of anything. I'm, there may be something that comes up along the way, but I'll yeah, it might come. It might come up along the way. Craptastic, craptastic, uh, then a little more craptastic. I, okay, so let's begin with the opening scene of the Russians in space, and a random piece of spacecraft just happens to go and and hit one of these guys and nails him out of nowhere. Doesn't kill him, despite the fact Shot that he's probably traveling <laughs> close to the speed of light. And good news, Superman just happens to be flying in space at that moment. And we get Mm -hmm. this scene where we're looking at Superman coming at the camera. If you will pay attention when you watch this movie, you get the identical cut in every single moment that we see Superman flying. They give us the exact, I mean, like his cape flies the same way. And if I'll just throw it out there, you're going to remember the part where he's flying through the subway. Mm Mm-hmm. It's Mm -hmm. the same scene. Like he does the exact same back and forth. I mean, I just thought, could you not have filmed two takes and maybe just switched it up a little bit? I think Mm -hmm. there's probably seven or eight different times that you see the exact same Superman flying at the camera. And poorly done too. It's, it's almost like rotoscoped. You don't believe a man can fly. 
No. Mm-hmm. I believe a man can cut and paste an image is what <laughs> yeah. I believe. Maybe thinking that Alfonso Cuaron was watching the beginning of this movie. is like, I'm going to make a whole movie about this. So maybe we got gravity because the beginning is Superman for, but probably not. <laughs> um, what doesn't work? A nuclear man. Destroy Superman. First, I have fun. Nuclear man, nuclear man, that scream. And then he gets this like later on in the film, he gets this after scream, this like this extra, like almost like raptor scream. This (laughs) scream was driving me crazy. It just, it went from, I feel like a political kind of drama type of thing that maybe you would see in like an episode of Smallville to just a, we don't know, just keep going. Just finish the movie somehow. And and I feel like that's what they did. Even the battle sequences, they're barely moving. He gives him that weak punch in the back. And like, yeah, even in Superman 2. So, I mean, let's see. Superman 2 was what, 1980, 81? Yeah, just, even the fight sequences. But these ones were so bad. I felt like they were like two teenagers that have never fought before being like, oh, come on. I'm going to hit you. You hit me. No, 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 no. I'm going to hit you. It was very weak as far as the fighting stuff and everything in slow-mo they were going so slow the subway crash or the subway thing there is yeah there's that shot that repeating shot there is never a scene where he is touching the subway they cut it to where he's just like i'm I'm gonna stop it and then this the thing stops and then he has to say oh just let everyone know even though this guy passed out and almost killed all of you it is still the safest way to head you know transportation i'm like no it's not it is not if your drivers are passing out they were trying to go for the first showing of superman and superman Mm -hmm. one whenever he Mm -hmm. rescues her from the helicopter crash and still flying it's the safest form of travel they were going for that and they missed it so badly but you've made a great point is that they obviously they'd cut their budget in half special Mm -hmm. effects are obviously significantly gone but i think this this is the key kind of conundrum for me on these two movies is that in superman 4 it's terrible because they don't show you any special effects and in jaws the revenge it's terrible because they show you some really awful special effects so you can go too far in either direction you got to show us a little bit i mean at the very least show me his hand touching the front of the subway Just, I mean, it doesn't even have to be fast, you know, just mm-hmm. speed up the camera, whatever you like, but, but nothing, you show me nothing at all. That's, mm-hmm. that's just bad editing. But Superman was there I, just in case. Yeah. I don't know if this is too soon, but I didn't know that Muriel Hemingway could breathe in space. Well, there's I, another one. Okay. You're, you're it, making my list of most ludicrous <clears throat> moments right there. I didn't want to yeah. forget about it, but I, <laughs> and the thing is, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming and I was trying to talk myself into it of saying, maybe it's not as bad as you remember. Maybe they're just really high up in the air and it's dark outside and they're not really in space. Right. And it got that way till she looks down and the earth is like tiny, <laughs> like so far. And she's just like, Oh no, the earth is all the way down there. And I'm like, how did this get past anybody who, how, who saw this part and said, we should keep 
this in the film because this was there was a two-hour version of this film and they cut out a half hour but they said no i'm sticking to my guns we're keeping the scene where meryl hemingway can breathe in space breathe in space and then gravity still affects her even though she's 100 miles above the or you know the the fact that it might be freezing cold up there i mean before obviously that happens we have a reintroduction of another thing from the earlier superman superman 2 the super kiss clark you gotta go with your gut. Superman's frustrated because little Jeremy has called him out for not doing anything about nuclear war. They print in their tabloid, new tabloid version of the Daily Planet that Superman says, drop, drop dead, dead, kid. kid. Yeah. Oh, that's I love that. <laughs> that. That is a throwback of a real historical event. Gerald Ford in the 70s, the state of New York was asking for help and for federal aid and Gerald Ford said no, and the paper said New York City can drop dead, Is was how they phrased it. Yeah. So he's got this internal struggle going on and dealing with that. And so to help him through that situation, he decides to show Lois Lane who he really is again. And then he takes her on an around-the-world flying journey where she's absolutely terrified but can also fly a little bit herself there's one point i took a picture and, sh- and I, I shared it with jason i may have shared it with you too jeff yep when he throws her like and she's still kind of flying but obviously freaked out this is again right out of megamind right i can see the guys in megamind going oh we got to have a part where he like throws her and lets her fall so we can save her and be the hero <laughs> so but there's that point and as he's catching her you can see his foot go down in front of her and stand on invisible air. (laughs) I think I think I was just thinking, I'm like, man, Superman's got a sixth sense of humor. He's like, hey, there you go. And he just lets her go because she starts to go down. She's still flying, but she's going down. I'm like, that is terrifying. You know, and it's like, hey, there you go. (laughs) My 14 year old would do like, oh, my gosh, this will scare the crap out of her. I'll tell you what's terrifying is I now have to question how often does Superman do this to Lois Lane? <laughs> yeah, you know, because right. he's probably saving a fortune in therapy, you know, because yeah. anytime he's got something bugging him, he just goes and lays one on Lois and, hey, I'm Superman and here's here's what's happening. And why does he have to reveal the secret? D, I, I don't, you know, couldn't Superman just fly down to Lois's apartment and say, hey, I'm having some trouble. What do you think? Can we talk about the escape from jail for Lex Luthor? Yeah, that's the most ridiculous sure. jailbreak in movie history. <laughs> Somebody pulls up and says, oh. "Listen, check out my stereo, right. dude." The, the Lenny's car security. is absurd. <laughs> What's more absurd, Lenny's car or Lex Luthor's um, 1920s bomber outfit towards the end of the film? <laughs> and thinking we're gonna lay low for a while, and they're in like a ridiculously <laughs> glammed-out car, and he's dressed like that. How are you gonna lay low dressed like that? He looks like Snoopy dressed as the Red Baron. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, here's what I I'll go ahead and ask the question because Lex is clearly on the 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 work farm that John Rambo is on exactly yeah. Boston Boston Rock without how a do doubt. You, how do you just roll up uh, past security in your outlandish the Lenny Mobile as I call it? Yeah. His name's all over it. How do you just roll up and then the, and the the cops are like, hey, check this out. Wait, Absolutely, we can climb. Why are they the drawing cab? their guns? And so yeah. once once again, you have a special effect that should be there that's not there. And then this one is there. It's guilty on both because it shows you the special effect which it should never have shown you. So they he remote controls the car. It goes flying off of the cliff 
when you see it fly off the cliff, you can see the bottom of the Hot Wheels car. <laughs> yes. It is a black, flat mat bottom to the car, which is just absurd. And then you should see an explosion, right? No, yep. nah. no, you don't. And too these guys who've just too gone much money? high, high off of the cliff and there is fire at least coming out. They just crawl over the edge unscathed. I think that they should have been the supervillains because they have obvious superpowers. The supervillain here is the second unit director who took $17 million and told his kid, take that hot wheel, throw it in the sky. Daddy's going <laughs> to just film it. It's, <laughs> it's awful. When I watch those guys climb out basically unscathed. I think about the verisimilitude of Richard Donner. Mm -hmm. This is how far mm -hmm. we've fallen. Yes. That scene alone mm -hmm. is so bad. It's just, it's just unacceptable. And then we have what I still think is like the good idea of taking Superman's DNA to make another. Did you guys know that there's supposed to be two nuclear men? Like they filmed. Yes. I read that. Yeah. The first got, guy the other is one supposed got to be a, yeah, supposed to be more of a bizarro kind of character who worked even less well than the second one, which is hard to imagine. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but anyway, you've got the good idea of let's take a strand of Superman's hair. I even like the idea that they have the hair in the Superman mm -hmm. museum so that you get the idea of how strong it is. But then... But then Lex Luthor walks right up and just like clips it, takes it. Daytime. There's a tour a going on. With these wire cutters that he bought at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Superman's hair is not going to be cut with wire cutters. That's crazy. Do you see the thousand pound weight? How are you going to cut it? <laughs> but he just snips, snips and takes it away. And then we see him in the lab making some sort of goo. And then somehow all it takes is to, to sneak into a nuclear launching pad is that you just got to step in line and wear a uniform. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then that little concoction that he puts in there, which almost is like, a baby chicken or what looks like the ginger that comes on the, your plate with like sushi. <laughs> and just, <laughs> what is that thing? It just, it, it just, Oh man. Can we talk about nuclear man? Go just for the, it. The, 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 the ridiculousness of him. Yeah. So the spawn of nuclear man is that the, the missile, like the, all the other missiles that Superman has thrown into the sun with his giant net, wherever that might have come from. He got it from mm -hmm. Depot, well, the same place they got the clippers yeah. for the hair. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so Lex Luthor knows that Superman's throwing all the nukes they're shooting up into the sky, into the sun. I'm not sure why the military is still shooting these things up, but he knows it's happening. And so <laughs> the key catalyst for the, the Superman wasabi ginger sauce that he's made <laughs> is that it has to be thrown into the sun. And so I'll just send it to Superman and he'll do my dirty work for me. And then when the thing goes into the sun, a fetus comes out. Out. <laughs> a cartoon a glowing fetus. fetus. Yeah. <laughs> I can't go on from there. I just nope. It it's look. so funny that you said that because as I was watching this last night, <laughs> I was watching it on HBO Max and <laughs> my internet slowed down and the movie pauses right at the fetus last night for what felt like 30 seconds or a minute. And I'm like, am I going to have to stop this? <laughs> it's just stuck on my screen, this fetus. 
so it was just like finally it kicked back on but i'm like i'm just sitting there staring at the fetus what felt like an eternity <laughs> your wi-fi was going what in the it was bad it's like i think my wi-fi was like why are you watching this why are you wasting <laughs> there must be why are you wasting your no one would choose to watch this movie on this. yeah <laughs> that brings well, up a good one. thank you guys for making the sacrifice to watch these two movies i i, I, I went I, for it i went i watched jaws three jaws four superman three superman four yes. I, i've had so much junk of movie <laughs> watching in the last couple nights so let me i got a question this is a personal question for you brad were you holding your newborn son during any of these watching some of them yeah some of them yeah <laughs> i'm a little worried actually yes I'm i mean yeah, well, had, you may need to expose him to a lot more good stuff so that stuff i was explaining it to him i was like this is th there's a purpose in all this son i i promise <laughs> you i i will explain later Hey, you know oh, what we man. we glazed over? We talked, we brought it up, but we just kind of glazed it over. But nuclear Jeremy yeah. standing Ugh. up in front of his class. I'll tell you what'll work. We gotta get Superman to get the nukes. I tell you, I'd write a letter to that would do some good. Who, Santa Claus? No, Superman. I was like, shut the up, Jeremy. Yeah. Let the so adults you're saying talk. Jeremy you know? spoke in class basically <laughs> pearl jam's jeremy is actually about superman for the quest for peace i am dead now oh god that's hilarious <laughs> i want somebody to make that video <laughs> I'm at, jeremy will be i will play it in this right here oh gosh yeah. uh, let's talk about jeremy for a second because even if you couldn't get a better actor because that kid's awful <laughs> Just his delivery. First off, he's looking out the window. He's not paying attention. He he kind of gives some attitude to the teacher. And every time you see him, he's just like, yeah, Superman. There is not one likable thing about this kid. Not one. Yeah, I agree. And they're watching the news in social studies class or what? I mean, what's going on there? Such cheap. Yeah. So cheap. Jeremy needed to be sent to detention immediately and then SWAT, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so nuclear man is a fetus. And then a man, and then a completely clothed man somehow. By the way, I'd love to give you a hard time about you keep saying nuclear, but they, but Gene Hackman does it the entire movie too. <laughs> he does. <laughs> if Hackman can do it, that's exactly Graves right. can Probably do it. Where I got the pronunciation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what the sun is? It's nothing more than a huge nuclear bomb. <laughs> uh, quoting Jaws four, Brad just says. My gear crapped out. Rebooting now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. My gear don't crap. Out. <laughs> I, I pay Spectrum top dollar, so I'm always off. <laughs> That's gold, man. Uh, oh, good Lord. You guys are bringing your A game today. <laughs> I, I think uh. we need to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> See, as soon as I started talking about the internet screwing up, it's actually been bloop, bad bloop. all week. Hopefully it doesn't. Bloop, bloop. Do it. Bloop, yep. bloop. <laughs> it, it heard me talking about and it said yeah that's right you watched that bad movie last we, night we thought that brad had been eaten by a shark and taken down to the bottom of the ocean it turns back he's completely he's alive. okay he's alive and no problems <laughs> the breath on that thing yes <laughs> so nuclear man not only spawns in three seconds from a fetus he spawns fully clothed with a costume with and with some really messed up fingernails. Yeah. What is that about? Why? Okay. So when him and Lenny are doing this uh, Mr. Wizard thing with their their beakers <laughs> and the, the bubbling stuff, Luther takes a scrap of, of like a garment and he's going to add that to the mix with the DNA 
And because Lenny, I remember Lenny's like, uh, that's not enough to clothe him. And Gene Hackman's explanation, I, I don't even remember what it is because it's just so stupefying. But he it's kind of like, yeah, it'll meld with him, it'll grow with him. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. The, the computer inside will do something for us. I'm like, yeah. the computer in the fabric? The computer? What <laughs> computer? Because are we talking nanotechnology? Because I, I don't get it. I, hey, I, he, I missed that line completely. I must have completely toned out. I think I got hungry for Chinese food. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, is- speaking, speaking of getting hungry, I'll tell you right now, and I, I know I don't mean to jump back to the beginning again, but talk about taking a good idea. And totally ruining it. The opening title sequence with the the names flying in. I love that in Superman. I love it in Superman 2. Did you guys notice how, I'll tell you right now, if you blink, you missed four names. If you got up to go to the, get your Chinese food or go to the bathroom, (laughs) that scene's over. I mean, they fly by. I I don't know if that's just people going, I I know people have to, I know my name has to be on this, but I don't want people to see it. If you could just speed the the camera up, (laughs) you know, times 10. The opening credits, they're, they're terrible. Awful. Maybe the last thing added or something like that. You know, like we still had $12. Okay. (laughs) Give me the best you got, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. D, why does Nuclear Man have saber tooth fingernails? Well, the answer is because it's a plot point that they have to use later later on. I is it? Is it really a plot point? It absolutely is. I mean, so he scratches him one time and makes him sick. I know, but I mean that you won't know that that's what's going on unless you see those absurdly long fingernails, right? And so, yes, that brings us to Brad's point earlier that this was literally the worst fight choreography in the history. of <laughs> fights they look like they were uh, trying to hug each other mm-hmm. and then s- smack each other with their palms i mean it was <laughs> it was terrible let's not forget that nuclear man somehow knows to come to lex luther's place that must be no, part of that nanotechnology you're talking about mm-hmm. and then what is his weakness it's the shade <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he melts like the witch off of wizard of oz as soon as he walks into the shade mm-hmm I mean, it's not even like completely closed off. It's like you're not directly in the sunlight. All your battery power is immediately eliminated and you crumple like a bag of glass. Yeah. And the the fact that, you know, Lex Luthor, supposed to be the greatest criminal mind of all time, didn't think that Superman might figure this little tidbit out. That's a pretty big vulnerability. I could beat this guy. (laughs) <laughs> yes, any one of us could turn off the light switch. Me and just and an lock umbrella. yourself in a basement. <laughs> I can beat this guy. Yeah. yeah, lock yourself in a basement. He's never going to get in. <laughs> That's wait, it. Wait, wait till nine o'clock at night. We yeah. all beat him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, well, on that point, Superman actually does the like the world's greatest defeat of Nuclear Man. I'm going to take him to the dark side of the moon. He'll be permanently <laughs> in the shade. Nobody can ever get to him. It's totally fine. He can stay there forever. We're all good. Everybody got it taken care of. Oh, wait, the sun rises. No. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, when that part happened, I'm In like, space? Okay, that's an actual smart move. You're taking him to a spot where literally the sun never shines, right? Literally never shines. Next scene, the sun is coming up on the moon. You're Let's- already up there. Why not? You know, you, you, you give that big uh, toss of all the nuclear weapons. Why not just toss him into like another galaxy? We he we know there's other galaxies because he tells the UN there's other galaxies. You're telling me that you couldn't just send him to some void area of space where there is no sun? He shouldn't mm-hmm. have to. He's on the dark side of the moon. I know. 
<laughs> well, I, I'm sure one of your guys' favorite scenes and definitely necessary for a movie that had to be cut down by 30 minutes was the double date scene that we, for some reason, needed just for giggles, I guess. But just <laughs> what a waste of time. I have pointed out on multiple occasions in this podcast that a movie has to have some comedy in it. Has yes, to be funny yes, yes. In some way. But at that particular scene, I started looking at the Wikipedia page for Superman 4 <laughs> and going and getting some Chinese food. Like, I was like, okay, this is useless. I'm going to go do something else right now. This was, I mean, it was so bad. It was so not funny in an horrible attempt to be funny. And it was just boring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All it needed was a laugh track and it would have played perfectly as any sitcom from the 1980s. Oh <laughs> yeah. That, that's how I look at it. John Ritter as Superman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Right there you go. By the, the way, Superman the TV do, show. <laughs> they do absolutely no explanation as to why Superman and Clark Kent are doing a double date together, why they would ever agree to that. That that yeah. they, that's one of the 25% of the movie that they cut out. Just intro right into it. Well, we've got a double date. It's with Clark and Superman. I'm like, okay. Here's the thing. Superman could take both those girls and say, look, hey guys, listen, I can't really do this. This is dumb. I'm Superman. And they'd be like, what? And he could super kiss both of them and, you know, Very wipe away the problem. So. Very true. <laughs> Even with that, I just, re I remember this. She says, I've known the whole time. When he's talking to her and she's, yeah. you know, hinting, Lois Lane is hinting that she knows who he is. And he's like, have you, do you know, you, do you remember? Like the super kiss didn't yeah. work. And she's like, I've yeah. known the whole time. I'm like, so confused. It worked the second time. So confused. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 Oh, you don't even know my name. Kal-El. Yeah. Uh, Remember Superman 2? Yeah. We did that I know everything. Thing. You lost your powers. Gosh. Yeah. He didn't kiss so, her hard enough. Apparently he needs to grab her butt too, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Second base is the memory. Uh, that's where the memory, yeah. you know. <laughs> you don't want to put her in the hospital, you know, like no. uh, atomize her or whatever, but. Again, abuse of power. <laughs> <laughs> And let's talk, let's, let's get briefly, let's talk about powers because I understand you have to sometimes do something in a movie that they, that's not canon to the comic book. It's not canon to the character, the memory wiping kiss being sure. a great example. This is Ramrat Bess. Keep going. Okay. So he has x-ray vision. He has heat vision. And in this movie, he has rebuild the great wall of China. <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear man destroys the great wall of China. <laughs> Superman looks at it hard and it puts itself back together. That's not how it goes. Also, Look, he can make things disappear too. Yeah. He makes his ship disappear, but just like looks at it and it just disappears. Give me just draw two red lines coming out of his eyes. So I know yes. he melted it. He destroyed it. Right. Yeah, Brad's right. Disappearing vision. I feel That's like gone. he has one more magic trick that we're forgetting. It's the Probably. hitting the baseball into space. No, that's yeah. just super strength, but I feel like he has one more. But the baseball and the bat would have been destroyed. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. Would, that thing would have been a thousand toothpicks <laughs> in his hand. Right? Yes. No, that's that's absurd. But the other is, I mean, he's got that green stick. He's had it for him the whole time. Mm -hmm. He gets the super scratch. He turns into the super crypt keeper with the gray hair. And the, <laughs> oh gosh, that's so And all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, I've got the green stick. And he holds yeah. the green stick and cut two. He's completely normal totally and Superman again. Feeling better. Mm -hmm. And it good news because it was right at the time that nu that nuclear man, <laughs> that nuclear man 
looks at the paper and decides he wants to have Mural Hemingway as his own. Where is the woman? Give it up. You'll never find her. If you will not tell me, I will hurt people. How does he know that? He knows right right away. You're never going to get to her. How do you know that nuclear man was just looking at the paper and was like, that's the one that I want. He just knows you're never going to find her. When was there a scene where you two were discussing? I'm going to go after this girl. He's like, bring me the woman. He's like, "Uh, her. (laughs) 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 You've got the, you've got him at that moment, just before that moment that he's the, nuclear man is standing in the street and with his you know the force uses the mm-hmm. force mm-hmm. to crush the taxi and i took a picture of this and i was going to send it and i forgot and then jason sent the same picture that somebody else is, yeah. had taken <laughs> you don't see the wires when the car gets crushed but then when they zoom into it after it's already been crushed then you can see the wires i'm mm-hmm. like all you had to do is say dude go take those off we yeah. don't need them anymore. We don't it, need them in, in the shot. And and yet there they are. When you told me that you could see wires in this movie, I'm like, ah, I don't really pay attention to the details. Of it. No, they are so blatant. I couldn't believe it. You can see the wrinkles in the curtain in the backdrop when they're on the moon. Aww. And the thing is, if you would have told me, oh, yeah, you see a few wires in like the 78 version or something. I was like, come on. Technology is right. progressing throughout the years. But the the effects get worse obviously because of money but still it's just oh man when nuclear man is going uh up floor to floor to floor Mm -hmm. you can see the the wires from floor to ceiling he's riding Mm -hmm. those wires right up the talk after this movie was that superman that christopher reeve had gotten heavier it wasn't that he had gotten heavier it's that they had the belt around him and because it was a low budget canon made movie the belt made him look probably 10 pounds his, heavier than he really was his harness he's not superman anymore he's spongebob squarepants <laughs> his, his physique he lost a and lot of, not, of his physique yeah yeah that's not and that's not fair to christopher reeve it's just mm. it's how they had him hooked up on the harness right yeah. he looked he looked like he was out of shape we have forgotten one of the other major sins that committed by superman in this movie the fact that he moved the moon to block out the sun in order to defeat nuclear man and what's that going to mm-hmm. do to the tides and all that stuff well but here's the thing if you fly around the earth and make the earth go backwards that's true it will not reverse time it will send earth flying out into the galaxy it's, <laughs> it will take mm-hmm. But the the difference is I have bought in by the time we reach that point in Superman one, this movie. Yeah. It's just another cherry on top of the poo Sunday that we got. (laughs) And I think that they said myself, well, (laughs) what worked in Superman two, there's a fight on the moon in Superman two. Yep. So they'll throw that in. There's a fight in metropolis going through a few buildings and there's of course don't do it the people (laughs) they just (laughs) said recreate some of those scenes that's true not very well but scene on the moon scene of metropolis uh, of fighting and i yeah i just felt like they were being like well i mean it worked once let's try it again my problem with the moon move is he takes three years to arrive in his rocket ship from from Krypton. Yeah. And he clearly, you can clearly hear Jarrell instructing him on Einstein's theory of relativity. <laughs> you know better, Clark. <laughs> Don't move the moon. Just to, <laughs> yeah. The t- 
everything's destroyed if if he does this. And yes. uh, I, I hate that. I hate that I'm old enough to to pick at it like that. Because <laughs> as a kid, I probably would have been like, oh, yeah, just move the moon. You can, you'll beat him. But does it play for me now? Uh, <laughs> and it never will play. <laughs> yes. I guess my question is, is what did the cast and crew think of this film after it was done? I know what Christopher Reeve thinks <laughs> or what yeah. he thought, because oh, even in his it. book, he I think there's one sentence. He's like, the, the less we say about Superman four, the better. Mm. And that's in his that's in his autobiography. So, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? So, like, I heard John Cryer talking about this. And we're kind of moving towards wrap up. But John Cryer said when they release this, it's not a complete movie. And he's right. Mm. There should have been better effects, you know, things that make the story more cohesive that, you know, maybe he wasn't involved in. So they just put out kind of a incomplete project and he's right. Let me ask this. Do you guys think they could re-edit the footage that we have from this movie? Do you think that they could re-edit it and make it a good movie? They could make it as good as Superman 2. Okay. I don't know. I mean... The first half, maybe. I think if it would have turned into, because they started very realistic with the film of like, all right, let's do some real world stuff and throw it in the Superman universe. And if you actually did that of saying, we're going to rid the world of nuclear weapons, so many countries would have a major issue with that. And I think the- Including the US of A. Yeah, playing Mm -hmm. with that a little bit of the conspiracy and- world leaders kind of maybe joining with Lex a little bit more besides just the three, it would have made it a little bit more interesting in somewhat way. But yeah, it just, I don't know if you could edit it to make it better. I don't know. I I think you, if you clean up the effects, maybe give nuclear man, not Gene Hatman's voice, give him anyone's voice. I don't care. Make him a mute. Yeah. Make him a mute. I think if you did enough work, it would probably be as good as three. That's where I would leave it. I wanted to mention this guys at the end of Superman quest for peace. Mm -hmm. You have a shot of Superman sort of like back in the neighborhood guys. How you doing? Good to see you, everybody. That was plucked straight out of Superman 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it looks great, right? Well, yeah. the reason it looks yeah. great is because it's from Superman 1. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the same clip from all four films. I think it ends that whole, all four films. They do that, it. Okay. Fourth, that, that break the fourth wall, smile at the audience. Everything's Whoa. good. Tip of the cap. Yep. Love it. Well, Jaws the Revenge pulls the same tactic. And we'll talk about that okay. next week. <laughs> it does? It does. I got to admit, oh, I was wow. watching it after the credits started rolling, so I don't, I don't know what. It's the same. It's the, uh, it's the explosion. Oh, oh that okay. I, was the very end. <laughs> I was waiting for Bruce to smile at us in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I have one. Okay. Shining moment here that I forgot to mention when I said good stuff. All right. And that is the composer. Mm-hmm. The composer okay, for this yeah. movie is different. It was different than Superman one, different than Superman two. Okay. We know that in Superman two, that John Williams met with, <laughs> met with Dick Lester. Richard Lester. And when they went to the bathroom and came back, he's like, I cannot work with this man and left. Mm-hmm. And so somebody else had to take his music and do something with it. And basically we have the same type of thing with this movie, but the guy that they got to do it is a composer named Alexander Courage. And as it turns out, Alexander Courage had actually worked with John Williams extensively. He was his orchestrator. He would orchestrate, mm-hmm. he would take John Williams music and would make the full orchestration out of it. And he did the same thing with Jerry Goldsmith. And so he literally was in the right spot to just take John. I mean, they even say it at the beginning in those super fast credits based on, you know, 
the themes mm-hmm. of John Williams, right? So he he took this music and did the right things with it. Quick story, he's mostly an orchestrator, but he was the composer of a very famous score. He composed the original music for Star Trek, the TV series from the 60s. Wow. What? This yeah. So not bad. Here's the rest of that story. Gene Roddenberry decided to write some lyrics for that song. The uh, ooh. no, not that. Like literally, oh, okay. like like lyrics were there are words to be sung. It's just that nobody's ever actually heard those. But he wrote them, which means that he got half of the royalties from all ooh. of the times that they've used that score. Gene Roddenberry got half the royalties. So wow. I think. Alexander Courage was a felt a bit screwed over in that circumstance, but mm. I just thought that was a, an interesting story. All right, everybody, we've got Mr. Def Dave back to do a Shirley Showcase. This time he's going to go back all the way to season one where we did a matchup, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure versus Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey versus Bill and Ted Face the Music. Let's hear what Dave has to say. Greetings, royal ugly dudes. This is Def Dave Esquire, and I have traveled through time just to give you this Bill and Ted review in order to unite all podcast listeners and save reality as we know it. Recently, I noticed that strange things were afoot on Amazon Prime. So after watching Bill and Ted face the music, I wanted to send you this most non-heinous Shirley showcase, but I couldn't think of anything to say. At first, I was like, lyrics, side up some lyrics, dude. But then I decided to go to the future and get this review from Future Dave, since he had plenty of time to write it. At first, he was like, Get away from me, you COVID pandemic dipweed. But then I said, this is a film review, Future Dave, not a medical review. But since the clock is always ticking in San Dimas, I'll skip the rest of that story and get straight to it. I saw Excellent Adventure in theaters my senior year of high school, and it was an instant classic for me. Any movie that can get away with Socrates and Mr. the Kid playing catch with a Nerf football is my kind of movie. Genghis Khan twirling his aluminum bat like he wants a second shot at Riggs and McLean. The fruit dude really enjoying his corn dog at the food court. Historical babes and short dead dudes, they're all so funny, but what makes it work is the genuine friendship between Bill and Ted. In a world that certainly must seem too complicated for them, they have found each other, and their dim-wittedness allows them to take all the absurdity of time travel in stride, because how is that any more difficult to understand than algebra class? And the idea that these two lovable sweet losers would one day make the music that would align the planets and unite the world is just hilarious. This movie earns my highest recommendation to all my cinematically inclined comrades. Listen to 1989 Def Dave. That dude knows what he's talking about. Even though I'll probably never watch it again because I've seen it 69 times. I also saw Bogus Journey in theaters a couple of years later and I was disappointed in it. It just got a little too weird for me. Words like Station and Melvin just made no sense and it was basically a big miss for me. There were highlights, of course. Death is hilarious. Death was easily the best part of that movie. I think he's a great addition. He was awesome. And there were some important continuity bits at the end with the future history of the Wild Stallions. But I do not watch this movie very often. It's a thumbs down for me. Put it in the Iron Maiden. And now, that brings me to Bill and Ted Face the Music. Now look, you can't have a totally triumphant sequel without Eddie Van Halen on guitar. And you can't have Eddie Van Halen on guitar because... He's dead, dude. But otherwise, he's doing okay. Now, right away, this movie made me mad with the Bill and Ted daughters. Since this franchise has always gleefully dismissed any worry about time travel paradoxes, then so do I, right? Like any plot hole created by time travel, you just kind of shrug your shoulders, play some air guitar, and get over it. But the franchise does respect its own continuity for the most part, which is why the daughters annoy me. 
Bill and Ted had sons at the end of Bogus Journey. So either the sons are 30 years old and this movie just ignores their existence, or we're supposed to accept that they really had daughters and they're still only teenagers. Either way, I don't like it. And it doesn't help that the two actresses playing the daughters have zero of the chemistry that Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves have. As far as Bill and Ted themselves, it was great to see them again. All the bits where they run into their future us's are great. And so their scenes almost work. They almost capture that magic, but the only thing that was missing was punchline. It's the plotline of the daughters that comes the closest to recapturing the magic of the first movie. The idea of traveling through time to assemble the best band in history is a winning idea. Seeing Jimi Hendrix and Louis Armstrong casually hanging out in the background of scenes really channels the tone of the first movie. It really felt like the Bill and Ted story that I wanted but never got in Bogus Journey. The only problem was that Bill and Ted were not in these scenes. This should have been the movie. This should have been Bill and Ted's story. But instead, it's given to the two daughters and they just drain it of all energy. Also, this movie would apparently have us believe that the only white guy to make a historically significant contribution to music is Mozart. And I'm just not ready for that level of disrespect for King Ad Rock. I had just about made up my mind that this new movie was a disappointment when Death and the Killer Robot from the Future, Dennis Caleb McCoy, start taking over the movie and suddenly I'm laughing. A lot. That pure Bill and Ted brand of absurdity is captured and now I'm having fun. And then I gotta say, the ending blew me away. It was never about the song itself. It was about all of us singing together. What an incredible message. It just kind of snuck up on me and punched me in the face. And, and the music itself had me fired up. Like, it gave me goosebumps. It was an awesome movie moment. Like, this was a great ending to this. Now, I don't think the movie had done enough to establish the daughters as these cool DJ producer types. So that part seemed a little unearned. But hats off, because this movie absolutely delivered on the ending. We actually do get to see Wild Stallion's music unite the world and align the planets. Something that was teased in the first movie, we never expected to actually see, but we get it. And what a perfect ending to the Bill and Ted story. So for me, the ending of Face the Music totally delivered, and with the help of Death and Dennis Caleb McCoy, managed to save the whole movie for me. There are things about it that still annoy me, but it's a net positive, so it's a thumbs up from me. So here's how I rank them. In last place, of course, at number four, Bogus Journey. At number three, we have Face the Music. Then at number two, it's Excellent Adventure. And then, San Dimas football number one. Huh. Well, that's going to do it for me, guys. I've got this creepy guy staring at me like he wants to play a game of Battleship. I love your show. Keep it up. I'm going to get out of here, but I'm leaving you with these most bodacious words of wisdom. Be excellent to each other. And, oh, I almost forgot. Future Dave wanted me to give you a message. He says, congratulations on your Fight Club versus Six Sense episode. It was most triumphant. Party on, dudes. Okay, Dave. Great job. As always, super creative, super insightful. Love the movie quotes. Hilarious. I got to disagree with you on Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I think that was a lot of fun. But for the most part, I think you nailed it. Thanks again. If you aren't familiar with Def Dave, go back to our Season 2 matchup of Beastie Boys License to Ill versus Run DMC's Raising Hell. Dave is a superstar when it comes to discussing 80s hip-hop. He's also a very successful writer. Go check out some of his books. I myself just picked up the Gideon Kane Demon Hunter, which is a collection of short stories, including our pal Van Allen Plexico and Mr. Def Dave himself. I can't wait to dive into that. And I gotta say, I love the message from future Def Dave about the matchup between Sixth Sense and Fight Club. That's a mammoth matchup from 1999. We'll see what we can do, future Dave. By the way, station. This movie was nominated for two... Golden Raspberry Awards. Just two? 
just two worst of the worst right we've we've picked the best worst movies of all time so the first one was worst supporting actress for mariel hemingway she lost to daryl hannah for wall street oh the second was for worst visual effects lost to jaws Jaws the revenge you got it (laughs) And really up for our next podcast so guys be sure on whatever podcast that you are listening to hit that follow button hit that subscribe button go check us out at shirley podcast on twitter at shirley podcast on facebook you can check out the a film by guys at a film by on twitter same on facebook correct yes Right. Why don't you guys tell us what your next episode is going to be so that people can tune in for that? Well, today, Brad and I went back to summer school. We talked about nice. uh, a film by Carl Reiner, uh, the Mark Harmon classic summer school. So that is uh, available right now on your favorite streaming platform. So everybody, thank you for tuning in. Be sure and check out our next episode where we dive in and tear apart. Jaws Jaws the the Revenge. Revenge. You guys come back for that, right? We will see you next week. We will definitely be back to sink our teeth into Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) This time is personal. When the Canes Film Festival would happen. Canes? The Kane, yeah, I'm sorry. The Kane Film Festival. Kane? Can. 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 I was here at Can. What do you think? Uh, Brad, Brad would be, yeah, I, I've always called Con, it Can. Can. I, I know the, the, the winner gets the Palme d'Or. Con. Okay. Con. I'm going to go with Con. <laughs> Con. <All right. laughs>